Thank you, Pastor David. We're in 2 Corinthians 8 tonight, and uh, so glad that you're here. You know, Paul has addressed the church in Corinth about three major issues they struggled with. They struggled with false doctrines. They had a really hard time getting their minds around grace, and I think we do too. We, we wonder, how can this gift from God be free? Wouldn't it be better if I could earn it or if I could come to church and impress God? And Paul's going to say, you know, it's all about grace. So he addressed the false doctrine. He also addressed fractured relationships. They weren't a church that loved each other. That's why in 1 Corinthians, we see that great chapter 13 on love. He wrote that because they weren't loving and he called them to love. And then he, he addressed some foolish behaviors of people who met Jesus and they had an old life. And Paul would call them that once you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed. They struggled that, don't we? We struggle with it wanting this new life sometimes when we love some things of the old life. And so Paul is going to call us into the new life with Christ. And, and he's called them to a higher purpose than they were living. And the word of God is going to call us to a higher purpose in how not only we live, but also how we give. And so let's open up our Bibles right now and uh, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You see, this is the elephant in the living room of many churches. They don't know how or want to talk about money. And yet, it's eating our lunch. No other area in our culture is uh, compromising us on our treasure more than how we receive and how we spend money. And yet, it, this, this message really has nothing to do with how much you make. It has everything to do with what you're doing, with what you already have from God. We're going to be called into generosity. And none of us need to make, uh, make more to talk about a vision or craft a direction that God might be telling us tonight. And what we determine tonight could transform tomorrow. However, on the very same, uh, on the other side of that concept is what we delay in today is, is really going to give us some frustrations in the future. And so we have an opportunity to hear God's word tonight and then say, now that I know it, how am I going to live it? And how would it affect the way I give? Paul's going to show us that. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read 15 verses, so hang with me. If you don't have a Bible, hop up right now and go and get one in the back. We have one for you. If you don't want to have one at home, keep this. It's our gift to you. We want you to have God's word in your hand so you can hide it in your heart. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. He says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
I say this as a command, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. You see, what we're getting from the word tonight is something that you cannot hear uh, apart from opening God's word and reading it and having it revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. You see, all around us, we live in a culture that is defined by how much you make. Your life is defined and you're valued by how much you have. By You, you go through life either worried or, or uh, thinking you're secure because of the financial condition of your checkbook or the financial opportunities you have. You just drive down Wanamaker Road and all roads follow a faith system for money and financial prosperity. And so therefore, when we talk about giving, it's very easy to feel threatened. It's really easy to think they're just after my money. And that's exactly the opposite of what the scriptures are after. That Because the scriptures reveal the heart of God. And as I look at the scriptures for my truth, And as you look to the scriptures for your truth, you will find that you're not the owner of anything. To say my things is one of the greatest heretical statements when you look at the scriptures. The scriptures remind us of reality because we can believe the lie that it all belongs to us. The scriptures remind us God owns everything. And we need that grid Because if God's own owns everything, then what he's entrusted to us, we're to be good money managers of. And it has nothing to do with how much you have, but rather what you're doing with what God has already entrusted with you. This passage is going to call us uh, not into the accumulation of things, but the giving of things. Our culture says everyone needs to grow in spending And so if you live in this world, you always expect a a raise in your wages so that you can spend more and have more and go on more vacations. We have this picture in our minds that when we're one age and when we're another, we need to have more to be content. And we're a culture that uh, has never had more. And yet, talk to psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers, and they will tell us that we've never been... uh, more frustrated and less con- and more content than or less content than we are right now. Yet when we look at the scriptures, we see that the New Testament believers were generous. They gave beyond what was expected, even to the extravagant, sacrificial giving. And and I wonder when I read this passage, what was it about the New Testament church that allowed them to give it all away? 
and not think they needed to keep it and spend it all, which is so indicative of our culture around us tonight. And so scripture is going to show us there, and it's going to call us to grow in giving. The church in Macedonia was not a big church. They weren't a wealthy church. They were actually going through severe poverty. But it was in their poverty. Churches like Philippi and churches like Berea. Those cities were not well known. They were, if we could equate those cities here in the U.S., it would be like Carbondale, Kansas. Corinth was like an Atlanta. There are a lot more resources, a lot larger buildings, a lot wealthier people in Atlanta. Yet what scriptures are raising up is the Carbondales of this world that don't make much, that people just receive a typical wage, but they are generous. It's those environments that the heart of God raises up. Because Corinth said, of course, count us in. We'll give to the needs in the church of Jerusalem. But when it came time to give, their mouth outmatched their actions. And you know what? We can say we want to be generous, but you can't be generous without giving. That's what Paul says. We've got to follow through on our words. We've got to follow through on our desires. And you know what? I love generous people, and so do you. Don't you love it when the uncle writes the check for $1,000, and you graduated from high school, and you get the check for $1,000? He goes, wow, thanks, uncle so-and-so. You're so nice. and try to strategize your life so he can be a part of it. Yeah, we love generous people, but we don't love to be generous. I know what you're thinking. You don't know what I do for my family. Yeah, your family is an extension of yourself. Yeah, we are. So sooner or later, I need to be able to give outside my family. I've never questioned my love for my kids. I'll sacrifice for them. And what the scriptures are going to call us to do is to direct your giving towards the greatest relationship in the world for you. And the most important relationship in the world for each of us is the relationship with Jesus Christ. And the greatest mission that Paul is calling us into is to let the love of God control us and advance the gospel in the lives of people. And so we have the greatest vision and we have the greatest mission and it requires giving. And so he's going to call us into that. And in the process, though, he's not going to call us to this feeling of obligation and guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, he's going to call us to a higher life, a better life, a new way. And God help us because we need a new way on finances. Finances are eating our lunch. We need a new vision. We need a reboot because the typical American family spends between 102 and 106% of their monthly income. Because they don't do a budget and they don't hold themselves to it, 1,000, 4,000, 8,000, and now the average debt of around 14 to $15,000 of credit card debt on the typical American family. It's eating our lunch. None of us ever said, let's, let's accumulate debt. None of us do that. But without a vision... That happens. And so the scriptures are going to say it's not about you need to grow in spending. It's that we need to grow in giving. And Paul gives us three reasons why. The first one is this, because of grace. 
Grace is a word that's used throughout this passage. It's used over seven times in these two chapters of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But verse 1 starts out with it. Listen to what it says. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. You see, they had received the grace of God, but they were also reflecting the grace of God. Grace is God's undeserved love, his undeserved showering of benefits because of Jesus on our lives. When we give, we act in grace. And you really don't uh, experience grace until you receive it and then reflect it. That's the whole interactive experience of grace. It's not just that I'm forgiven and I receive God's forgiveness, but also then that I would forgive others. Yeah, others. Not just the people who are easy to forgive, but the ones who are tough, who keep doing what you don't like. Those types of people we need to forgive. And then you see grace. Grace. See, most of the world doesn't like grace because grace basically says that you're out of the mix. You can't control it. Uh, I can't be good enough to earn God's favor. I can't show up so many times at church, give so much in the offering, show up for ministries, and God would say, okay, Hishma, good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Going like it. Yep, most of America lives like that. That if I live, I'm, I'm a good person, God owes it to me to save me because I'm not as bad as that person or that person or that person. And we can do that. We can compare, compare ourselves to others. But grace says, you're not compared to anyone except Christ. And because of that, we all need saving. And we cannot save ourselves. Grace is something that when we receive to really experience it, we've got to be able to give it. And grace is mentioned. When you grow in giving, you grow in in grace. When I give to the Lord, I I don't go, well, that church deserves it. No, I go, God is worthy of this. I give to him. And it's a joy to be used of him. That's the second reason. Joy. Because of grace, because of joy. That's why we need to grow in our giving. Look at verse 2. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at, look at verse 4 and 5. You'll see this again. Begging us earnestly. For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you see this? They had what, if you want to underline it, an abundance of joy. Jesus really was the most important relationship in their lives. And they just had a great time. It was kind of like, wow, the church in, in Jerusalem is having a problem right now. And we... In, in little Philippi, we in Berea can help. It's our honor, of course. Let's do it. Let's do it. We can, we can be a part of helping our brothers and sisters. Paul, what else do they need? And they overflowed it. I mean, they gave sacrificially to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Paul was saying, look at this. Do you see that? They had joy. I didn't have to convince them. I didn't have to write a lot of letters like I'm writing you, Corinth. I didn't have to do that. And 
even beyond our expectations. You see, that's why it doesn't matter how much you have. So many of us think, if I just made ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more, then I'd give. Some of us think, boy, if I just won the lotto, I would tithe then. And if you want to see reality television at its best, there's a show on those who've won the lotto. And those who've won the lotto learn real quickly what money cannot buy. Money cannot buy contentment. It can't buy joy. It can't buy friends. I mean, authentic, tell-you-the-truth friends. You can buy the tell-you-whatever-you-want-to-hear friends. Money can't buy a faithful wife or faithful husband who loves you sacrificially and selflessly. So we learn real quickly that joy is not a component of how much I have in the material realm, but rather how much I'm content with in the spiritual realm. When you realize that everything that was required of you has been paid for by Jesus and he keeps loving you and he keeps providing for you, the result is joy. And, and then when the God of the universe calls you to be a part of participating with him to provide for the physical and spiritual needs of people, I mean, you get to get in the game and God could just show up and pot of gold, bushel of diamonds. But instead, he calls us to give what he's entrusted to us to advance the kingdom of God. And we get to be a part of it. You know, we're the little kids who dad invites to, to plow the field and plant the field and harvest the field. We watch with big eyes as we see a miracle in our own eyes. Because of joy. That's what giving ought to do to us. That's what it did to the churches in Macedonia. And, and Paul kind of reveals, what is joy? What's joy a result of? It's a result of these priorities. It, look at that. He said, they gave themselves first, I underline it, first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, I was about seven years old when a Sunday school teacher said, Joey, joy is when you have three relationships in this priority. When you love Jesus and then you love others and then you're okay with yourself. You see, Jesus, J, others, O, you, when you're third, that's when you get joy. And I started realizing With money, nothing is shown more clearly where my joy is. And it tends to be Yoj. (laughs) It tends to be me. It tends to be others. And then what's left over, I give Jesus. With giving, it is so joyful when Jesus is your treasure. And then others can be, needs can be met. And then yourself. You see, that's the picture of joy that we're given. You know, when I traveled to Ethiopia, I reconnected with a dear friend of mine named Ernie Fry. Here's a picture of him. He's on the right. Ernie and I went to seminary together, and um, we were struggling through seminary. We were single guys, and I, we worked, I delivered papers from 3 in the morning till 7 in the morning every morning, and he worked third shift at UPS. And uh, so we were exhausted, and we had an 8 o'clock Hebrew class together. Now you want boring class and tired guys. He would fall asleep and drool at his table. And I, I could keep up to, to write notes and things like that. And I helped him out a little bit and he helped me out a little bit. But 
Ernie and I graduated from seminary. I uh, met Cheryl during that time. We got married, and he met Anne, and they got married. And we went out to our own ministries. I went to Chattanooga for eight and a half years, and then I moved here. We kept up with uh, Christmas cards and notes every once in a while. Uh, I'd run into him at a conference. But I got a call a year ago. And Ernie was a pastor of a very large church outside of Memphis, very affluent area in Memphis. And um, he was paid very well, and he led and had a a vision for over 3,000 people at that church. And his daughter had gone on a trip to Ethiopia, and God really turned her heart for the people in Ethiopia. And Ernie went on a trip to the Ethiopia, and God moved in his heart there he met this man named Esaias. And Esaias was the head, of one, one of the key leaders at the Kale Hewlett Church of about 8 million Ethiopian believers. And, um, and he looked at Ernie at his kitchen table and he pointed him and he said, Africa needs you. And he felt moved by the Spirit of God to resign from his church and go and serve in Africa. And so uh, that's where I heard, and I got this thing, and my family and I were eating dinner, and I read the letter, and I kind of got choked up. to, Because here's a guy leading a church, um, kind of like me leading a church, and God moving his heart to resign from that church to go to Ethiopia. And uh, he lived in a great house. Here's a picture of his house, and he has three great girls, and his wife, Anne, is there. And they moved. They sold their house. They moved to Ethiopia, and they moved to an apartment, a three-bedroom apartment with one bathroom. This is what the bathroom looks like, because I took a picture of it, okay? Now, that bathroom is a different bathroom than they came from. And I have boys, so I don't appreciate bathrooms as much as a house with three girls. Actually, four women, it looks like. But this bathroom had a, had a bathtub that was all rusty and it didn't have a shower spigot. It had a hose. And here's his three daughters. See, Morgan and Maggie and Meredith, three wonderful girls who have a great love for Jesus. And you know what I just hear spending time with the fries? I hear joy. I hear we're having the time of our lives. We, we are loving what God is doing. And I came at the end of a conference there where Ernie was and Esaias were leading 90 key leaders from 24 countries around Africa, affecting 100 million believers in Africa. And you go, the ability to influence 3,000 or the ability to influence 100 million see, in God's economy, it's a no-brainer. A life is a life, a soul is a soul. If you can go and lead, go and lead. If God can use you with 100 million, leave the 3,000 and do that. He can raise up another leader who can do that. And so God really moved in their hearts. And uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded, you know, I, I spent time with them and I could count and we could count all the things They lost. But you know what their life is determined? By what they found in Jesus. They they see it for what they found. We could have pity on them. They found a greater passion for life. Now, it required them to give up some comfort. Like, 
40 minutes driving to school in the morning on some crazy, crazy driving in Ethiopia in a little 1.6 liter van that looks like a matchbox car with everybody crammed into it. Looks like a speed racer cartoon. But, sorry, I'm really dated on that, guys. But, but that, that whole picture, they have, they received a greater joy because they were willing to give, to step away, to give up. They found a greater joy. And you know what? I found that too. When, when I've chosen to be a part of kingdom building with Jesus, I've had no regrets. I've had great, great joy. And I've made some really lousy financial investments over my short life. Investments like Enron and WorldCom and Yahoo. (laughs) I'm laughing right now. Yeah. I've never regretted an investment in the kingdom building of Jesus Christ. So what do we get? I mean, we, we want to grow in our giving because of God's grace in our lives and because of God's joy in our lives, but also because of God's sacrifice for our lives. Paul says this in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You go, I don't feel rich. Well, then you don't have Jesus. Because with Jesus, you have heaven's riches. You have the greatest blessings with your heavenly father because of Jesus. But it required him to step down from heaven to take on flesh and live in this world. And to live a life you couldn't live. He he left the praise and the glory and the comfort and the joy of heaven to be misinterpreted and rejected to be spit upon, to be beaten, and then to be crucified on a cross. It was everything you have with God, you have because of Jesus and his sacrifice. I don't bring anything except the work of Jesus to my relationship with God, and neither do you. And you know, if I look at this, isn't just in the spiritual realm. If you're 18 or under, everything you have is because someone sacrificed for it. I even look at the things I have at 48 years old and I realize those things that I have are because someone else sacrificed. This room itself is provided because people who were part of a much smaller church were sacrificial in their giving and provided a place for you to come and sit down and hear the word of God and hopefully leave and go and be part of transformation in this city and the lives of people. You see, when we give, we become poorer materially so that others might become richer spiritually. That's the picture of the sacrifice. I want you to meet Rick Wirtz here. Rick is on the right. Um, That's his son, Ben, next to him. He's an elder at a church here in Topeka at Northland Christian Church, which is just north of the river. And uh, Rick, Rick traveled to India when he was 40 years old, 16 years ago, on a dare. Someone said, go make a sacrifice for Jesus. And so he traveled to India. And it was there that he met a guy like this, Augustine Asir. Augustine Asir speaks fluent English and Tamil, which is the language of uh, the Chennai area in, in the Tamil region of India. 
that there is his wife in the blue and his daughter, and then their son who has cerebral palsy. His name is Jimmy. Wonderful young man. And uh, Jimmy even has a ministry because in India, if you are born with, with an issue, uh, a health issue or a deformity, you're seen as a bad omen and you give bad luck to people. So those people are pushed out of families and pushed out of society and they're desperate. Jimmy looks for those people and ministers to those people. You know, about we were sitting there talking in their living room and about every five minutes, someone would walk in the room and move Jimmy just a little bit so his body wouldn't have bed sores. And Augustine Asir, he comes along and he recruits and he trains and he equips pastors in India to go to some of the most desperate places physically in, in the country of India. Here's a picture of some of those men that he trains. And you know what? In India, the income is a whole lot less than the United States. We currently support one of these guys for $300 a month. We fully support him and his family. And he goes to the slums and he reaches people for Jesus. He goes to the leper colonies, which now leprosy has been pretty much eradicated because of antibiotics. But all the older generation who's had leprosy can't grow fingers back or toes back. So I got to go to a leper colony. And I remember at one of the most moving times during that time where all the lights went out because the city couldn't support the electrical system, the grid in that area. And they had this little LED light that was up in the corner of this church. And we had people worshiping who had leprosy. They didn't have fingers anymore and they didn't have toes. But from behind, I could see them worship the Lord like this. It's all I could see. And it moved me that uh, people of affliction and suffering were worshiping the same God I worship. And it's because men like this go and show them that despite what's happened to them in the world, that there is a God who loves them. There's a God who came and suffered for them so that they could have eternal life. There's a God who sacrificed for them. These are heroes to me. These men who would go places that I wouldn't and can't go, whether it's due to intestinal issues with the, uh, the areas or just style of living that would have to radically change or languages, learning Tamil. They go there. They're there already. And so I just go, of course, we'll sacrifice to get more of these guys who have been proven with the gospel to go. They aren't guys just looking for a job. They're guys who are proven with the gospel. And Rick introduced us to these guys. Rick then took us to the Steps Orphanage. Look at these beautiful little girls who were taken off the streets. Three of them that I met when the tsunami came in there several years ago were just abandoned. Their parents were literally washed away by that that tsunami that hit Chennai Beach. And uh, so uh, Isaac Menageram and his wife, Tara, uh, had compassion on these little girls. They now have 18 living in this orphanage. They want to build and uh, build a larger space for these little girls. Girls are abandoned in India. People want little boys. Some of the worst words a parent can get in India is, it's a girl. Because in poorer areas, they just abandon them. Who's going to love these girls? Steps Orphanage will. And they even pull them out of um, sex trafficking. As gross as that is with as young as these girls are. And they rescue them from there. 
and they share Jesus with them. They take them and they educate them in school. They feed them. They all were dressed like this. Someone in the United States made them a dress. Every one of the 18 girls a dress. It's just awesome to see the generosity of this. Now, Rick, Rick Wirtz is a uh, stonemason here in Topeka. He's not a multimillionaire. He has a stonemasonry company. And instead of accumulating, instead of spending more, he gives more. He bought them a bus in India so that they can go to school every day. It's too far for them to walk. So he bought them a bus, provided all the funds for that. I talked to Rick. He has traveled to India so many times he could travel first class and have it comped. And he said, no, I'm converting. I'm converting my miles into tickets for people who want to come to India. And I've sat on that plane for 15 hours in coach and felt my body was going to (laughs) seize. But you know what? It was a joy to see the work of God. Now, if Rick would have gone from 40 to 41 without taking that challenge, if he would have just become 42 and 43 and 48 and 58 and 68 and just accumulated it all, these girls would never have been funded. Pastor Asir, maybe God would have provided for someone else, but I'll tell you, it would have been a whole lot shorter vision in Rick's life. And now that when we, Fellowship Bible Church, due to a generosity of our congregation, wanted to be involved in one of the largest nations in the world of 1.2 billion people, when I thought, who's doing work in, in India? Guess whose name came up? Rick Wirtz, he's sacrificing to advance the gospel. And so we just said, let's go. And Rick hosted me. And he showed me all these areas. And uh, you know what? I just look at your life. You may be 16 or 18, 22, 28, 32, 40, just 60 or 70 years old. What sacrifices might you be able to make right now that in the future could reach this many people? Rick went on a dare. He probably didn't even think that a little bit of sacrifice could make so big of a difference. But I've walked these areas where a little bit of sacrifice makes a huge difference. And I've seen with my own eyes that when I've sacrificed and I've become poorer materially, so that others might become richer spiritually. And when I would become a part of that, the sacrifice is worth it. When I reflect the sacrifice of Jesus, we can do this by giving. And so you're shown the benefits. It's kind of like you really can't afford, if you know Jesus, really can't afford not to give if you're a follower of Jesus. If you know his grace, if you have his joy, and if you are living his sacrifice. So respond to the grace of God by giving. Live the joy of Jesus by giving. Reflect the sacrifice of Jesus by giving. You want to grow? Give. That's what it comes down to. That's what the word of God teaches us tonight. We're not going to take another offering because we don't want to give you guilt and shame. We've already taken the offering for the day. So the real application of this passage is, if you're not giving, 
will you give when you come back? If you are giving something, will you grow in giving? Next week, immediately perhaps. If you're generous right now, what could it look like? See, I want to grow even in generosity. That's what God is calling us into. We're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper. And before I do that, I want to show you just a, probably a 30-second clip of those little girls singing. I was able to take my little iPhone and video them when they greeted us. I'm not doing this to pull emotional strings. I just want you to hear these are girls who were abandoned, who now are found in Jesus. And they're loved because people have sacrificed. Just listen to these. They even learned English to sing this song. And you'll know this song if you grew up around the church. Listen to this.